0: Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible
1: and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today.
0: Good morning. We good to go? Good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, If you didn't hear the intro, my name is Ed O'Meara. I serve as... uh, pastor at uh, Crosspoint Church in Arnold, where Brett is, uh, is preaching there today, and we count it an amazing joy and privilege to be uh, partnered together with your church in many, many different ways. Uh, one of those ways is the upcoming... Um, the upcoming winter relief that we do, and we're so grateful. We, we're not able to do it at our church because, uh, because we have a school there, so we're not able to host there, and, and Brett uh, very kindly uh, helped us to coordinate being able to serve together, and we just love doing those sorts of things. It's serving together and being together uh, as, a, as a Christian community, uh, passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I do have to make one uh, sort of correction and apology uh, for Tony's introduction. Uh, he was very kind and, and encouraging in his in- introduction, but this is a little bit like what happens to the Orioles around, um, you know, like last month, where where you know you get some some like minor leaguers that they kind of pull up. To get the test out um, and, and get a chance to kind of see how how they might do in the majors and then and then sometimes you know you get some major leaguers that they're rehabilitating and you know getting their, their arm back in shape or their legs or whatever so so they go down to the the Bowie Bay Sox so Crosspoint is like the Bowie Bay Sox today they've got the major leaguer you guys are like the Orioles sorry you're like one in ninety nine and you get me. But praise God uh, that we uh, we are not uh, focused on the man; we're focused on the Word of God and how great and amazing God's Word is. So uh, it is a joy to be with you. And despite my meager gifts, I am so glad to be here to, in in the grace of God, within the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, seek to serve you this morning. Well, we're going to be looking at two Corinthians uh, chapter one, verses three through seven. You could go ahead and turn in your Bible there. Um, this is going to be a message on uh, evangelism, but probably a little different sort of message on evangelism than uh, you've heard before. Uh, and the title of it is called The Grace of Comfort. Uh, not necessarily a title that you would expect to go uh, with evangelism, but I think you'll, it will become clear as we go through how uh, how God will fit these pieces together. Uh, as the Re- Reformation swept France in the 1500s, the Gospel was producing a committed sect or committed group of Christians that were called the Huguenots. Now the Huguenots uh, were, uh, were persecuted viciously by the Roman Catholic Church in, in France in, in the uh, Reformation era. Uh, pastors and their families became targets during this time. Uh, one such pastor who, who actually lost his life under the persecution uh, that was occurring at this time was a man named Pierre Durand, uh, and Pierre had a little sister uh, whose excuse me, I'm just going to move this down a little bit so you don't hear me puffing, is that okay now? Um, Pierre had a little sister whose name was Marie, who you see the picture of here uh, right now, and and Marie was uh, known to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, and committed to uh, a gospel-centered understanding of the Word of God, and she was captured along with. Uh, with other members of her family, but she in particular is captured and held in something called the Tour de Constance. I'm not a French speaker, but I think that's how you pronounce it. And the Tour de Constance means the, the Tower of Constance, uh, for those who speak American. Um, and she was uh, captured there and placed there as a teenager. Now, to be released from this tower, all she needed to do was to recant her understanding of the gospel and reject Jesus' gospel as taught in ...the scriptures and solely under the authority of God's word. But instead of recanting, as a teenage girl, she resisted. And she even carved her protest in the stones of the well... ...the wall of the well in the tower. And, and she carved it there and she carved the word uh, resist, resist or resistance. So for 38 years, she patiently endured... ...without comfort in a very difficult situation in this tower. One biographer said of her that she was uh, a spiritual leader of the prisoners. She nursed the ailing, wrote letters for those who could not write for themselves... ...and she, she read psalms aloud each evening to bring comfort to others. She led prisoners in song. She taught Christ to those that were even antagonistic towards... Uh, ...towards the gospel, towards uh, uh, those that were antagonistic non-Christians. And she wrote to officials seeking uh, improved prison conditions. She actually even wrote to Jean-Paul Sartre and, and, and others um, uh, that, that were... Uh, ...Rousseau was aware of her and her situation. So she was, she was writing to people that were of um, great import in society at the time. I bring this story up because I think there's this sort of tendency that we have... ...when we hear of past Christians suffering, even unto martyrdom... ...we can elevate them as superheroes. Now, after 38 years, she was released and she continued to live her life. But, but there's this, this story of her, and we kind of think of her as being in this, this totally other class than us. Like, her life has no connection to my life as a Christian. Now, to be clear, they are to be respected... But we should also remember that we are like them. You know, these powerful Christians that have gone before us that we call martyrs, they they had aspirations. They had families. They had jobs. And rather than putting them on pedestals, we should allow their lives to instruct us as we face our trials of various kinds. Why? It's because affliction is normal. We heard that in some devotional thoughts this morning, right? Affliction, suffering is normal in this life. But there's good news. God glorifies himself and spreads his gospel even through trial, suffering, and affliction. The prophets, sawn and 2... ...the apostles killed, saints martyred, and Christians in Annapolis, Maryland in 2019 are all called to endure suffering. Now, I think this has great bearing on how we, as modern Christians, love and serve the world... ...and as we reach out with the gospel... I think this actually helps us to understand that evangelism is not some mere duty, some sort of compartment of our lives. Like, I go to work, and I, I, I'm helping to raise my family, I'm caring for them, I'm doing different things at home, and i got to cut the grass, and i got all these other things. and Oh, then by the way, there's also this thing that I'm supposed to do called evangelism. It's, it, it, it's not some separated or compartmental, compartmentalized thing of life. No, evangelism is about grace. And about God's grace flowing even through the afflictions in the normal warp and woof of life. And as God comforts us in our affliction, we have the privilege and opportunity also to convey grace to the lost in our lives. Who are also suffering their own afflictions. So where does this leave us or how does this launch us maybe is a better way of saying it. If you're here this morning trying to make sense of some present affliction in your life, this is a message for you. If you're not, this is a message that will prepare you for the inevitable suffering that will come in this life. God uses our affliction and he intends to comfort us and to transmit the grace of comfort to others through us. The main point of today's message is this. If you're a note taker, this is the summary of this sermon, the one main big big idea of this sermon. Our afflictions are avenues for abundant comfort for the lost. I'll say that again. Our afflictions are avenues for abundant comfort for the lost. With that in view, Let's read God's Holy Word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of Scripture. If you're reading from another version, that's totally fine. We're going to look at God's Word. I'm going to be starting in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'll read down to verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord and let this encourage and edify your heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all mercies. Comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we, sh- we excuse me, Our afflictions are avenues for abundant comfort for the lost. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm so thankful to be among brothers and sisters who are not only well taught, but eager for your word to shape and form our lives. This is a task that is too big for us. So we're so grateful that not only have you given us your word, but that you are here, Father, by your spirits present... To presence to make Jesus known, to, to clarify the work of the gospel in our lives, to, to amaze us and dazzle us with the person and work of Jesus, and to help us to grow to be people who reflect you more clearly. Lord, that includes every avenue, every area, every season of life. So in our suffering, and our affliction, Lord, you are in control and we can trust you. Help us, O oh God, to submit to you and to follow you clearly, passionately, and for your glory, as this word is proclaimed to our hearts. In the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to do a bit of a preamble before we we go too far down the road here. Um, And and that preamble is defining comfort. This text focuses on comfort. So we need to start with a right definition of what comfort is. Now, We're coming at this, this word comfort, we're we're coming at it with a culturally influenced, if not totally defined, definition of the word comfort. And we tend to think of comfort as emotional support, or consolation in difficulty, in pain, or in grief. As a noun, the word comfort is thought to be a state of freedom from pain and suffering. That's kind of how our our culture defines this. Cambridge's Dictionary's first entry says this about what comfort means. It says, the pleasant and satisfying feeling of being physically or mentally free from pain and suffering, or something that provides this feeling. We've co-opted the idea that comfort is primarily related to our emotions. Now it's not less than that, so I'm not here to say that that comfort has nothing to do with our emotions or or the care of our uh, psychological state or well-being, mentally speaking. It's not less than that, but the word means so much more, biblically speaking. Original readers would have understood comfort as action. They, they would have understood that comfort means coming alongside, encouraging, urging for it as the way one cheers on a runner. If you're standing at the, the side of a, a, a race and you see people running a, a marathon or a, a long race, you see people there shouting, go, you can do this, you got this, go forward. That's, that's comfort, encouraging, urging them forward. The noun form, so in light of that, the noun form means being emboldened to persevere. It means being strengthened to move forward. And Paul, in his definition and usage of the word comfort, always puts comfort in the context of urging into salvation under God's care. Being confident, urged forward, strengthened, and encouraged in ...God's salvation, comfort is never removed from the saving work of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So to rightly understand this text, we cannot marginalize comfort to mere emotional support or the amelioration of pain. It may include these things, but they are the fruit, not the root of comfort comfort according to god's word is always tied to our salvation it is always tied to jesus's work on our behalf being called being urged into being strengthened by and joined to god's care whenever you see the word comfort and and this text is the the sort of the, the, the big bat in Scripture about what comfort means. But throughout Scripture, when you see comfort being spoken of, it's not about this sort of emotional attaboy. Like, oh, come on, you'll, you'll get through this. Like, our world thinks about it. No, it is tied to the radically committed work of God on our behalf. This is important. Because in our affluent, easy Success-oriented culture, we are allergic to suffering. Anything that makes us feel good is good. Anything that makes us feel bad is bad. But this is not Scripture's view. Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism helps us, and I think is a really good system or... Uh, Sort of systematic theology way of understanding the Bible's total teaching about what comfort is. And this is the very first question. I know you're familiar with this as a church in your own catechism. What is thy only comfort in life and death? The answer is this. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful who... Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood, where does my comfort come from? His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that that all things, that all things must be subservient to my ...salvation. And therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life... ...and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. Where does comfort come from? It comes from Jesus and His saving work. Friends, we will not gain the robust comforts of God's salvation... ...if we minimize life into a playground of enjoyments. Some sort of spiritual Disneyland, where all I need to do is get a little alone time with Netflix. All I need to do is just get one more meal out or another vacation. All I need to do is just get a a break and and, and get a a day away from work. No, that's, that's not going to bring real comfort. And that's the message that is coming at us, left and right from the world, that comforts exist in uh, an easy, suffering-free life. No, comfort comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. So with that understanding of comfort in view, let's take a look at this text's meaning and how this positions us to move forward. This text meaning is very much about comfort for affliction, and I think there are three important things... There are more, but there are three important things that I want to focus on... ...about why God comforts us. The first one is this. God comforts us because it is inherent in His character. These three things will be organized around three C's. The first one is His character. It's inherent in His character. Look again with me at verse (coughs) 3. Excuse me. Blessed be the God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. Inherent in who God is is God's covenantal commitment to show mercy and covenant and comfort to us as his people. The, the fact that Paul says Father of mercies implies that we need his mercy. Now, mercy is closely connected to grace and salvation. But but it helps to have a little bit of a definition of what mercy is. So I'll give a little definition of mercy and I'll give a little definition of grace through a, uh, an illustration here. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. When I was in high school, I met my friend Jim. He was a year older than me. He was the only other born-again Christian kid in, uh, in my high school, at least that I was aware of. And as I got to know Jim, I learned this about Jim. Jim is an incredible driver. He is skilled with like NASCAR-like reflexes. He is like so skilled at driving, and yet he is always, he's, hes though he's the youngest like me, he's like got all these firstborn tendencies where he's like cautious and law-abiding and respectful and he plays by the rules. I'm also the youngest, but I am like the prototypical youngest. Like don't like to play by the rules not respectful, all of these sort of things. So my friend Jim has gotten pulled over for speeding seven times in his life. Seven times he's gotten pulled over for speeding and not one single speeding ticket. That's mercy. What he deserves is a speeding ticket. But he just like politely, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They come to the window and he's like, ...just, yes, I know what I was doing was wrong and I should have been... ...and he gets off from these speeding tickets. He gets mercy. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. So grace is me and my imaginary, imaginary world... ...when I've been pulled over far too many times to count... ...I hope for mercy and I hope for grace. So mercy would be like the, the officer giving me... Uh, ...mercy and grace would be like the officer giving me a high-speed chaperone... ...to my destination of choice... I've never had such luck in my life. I don't know if you have. But in in mercy, what we we do deserve, we don't get. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We receive heaven and forgiveness and kindness. Grace is, is us getting what, excuse me, I said that backwards. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. In mercy, we deserve the wrath of God, and God does not give us the wrath of God. In grace, God gives us his kindness. God gives us blessing in place of the things that we do deserve. So in in place of getting the hell that we do deserve, there's a positive action there. He, He chooses to pour out blessing. He chooses to pour out his kindness such that we receive heaven in his kindness. In salvation, we receive both grace and mercy because they are tied up in God's character and in his plan to save us. His saving plan extends comfort to us. He is the God of all-encompassing comfort, verse 3 says. There is no situation in which his gracious and merciful salvation is not connected... There is is never a time when God, as his children, will look at us and not provide grace and mercy and the comfort of his salvation to his people. His intent, rock solid, is always to be kind to us. And that is rooted in his commitment to save us, which is inextricably linked to who he is in his character. It is more sure that the sun will fall out of the sky, not rise tomorrow. That the earth will start spinning the opposite way as it did in that one Superman movie when Superman flew around the world the opposite way. That's more likely than God not being kind and gracious and merciful to his children. He has covenanted, he has made a a covenant promise to his children to be kind and give comfort to us. That is good news when you find yourself in the midst of suffering. He is not opposed to you. He is very much for you. So, his comfort is inextricably linked to his character. Second thing, God comforts us because we are connected to him. This is the second C. We are connected to him. Paul's verbiage here is very intentional. By his decree and covenantal promise... ...we are connected to God. He is our Lord. He doesn't say, blessed be that God guy... ...the father that people have out there. He says, our Father. Our Lord. He identifies himself as one with God. That's an amazing statement when you think about it, right? The divine Lord of all creation... The sovereign one, the perfectly holy one, allows us, permits us, is eager, actually pursues us to be interconnected with him. He he comforts us because by his covenant decree, we are in relationship with him. It is by his choice and by his pursuit. So his commitment to us, to save us, by his purpose. Is, is very intentional on his part. God has made us his own. He is our Father through Jesus. Think about that as it relates to comfort for a moment. You Think about kids. What happens when kids are out running around, playing, and they inevitably fall on the concrete, pavement, whatever, and they skin their knee? They're in the midst of all their friends out in the front, you know, playing, playing around, and they skin their knee. And what is the first thing they do as soon as they skin their knee? They turn and they run to their parents, right? Because where does the best comfort come from? Mom and dad. This little thing that I got on my knee, there's only one person that can help, and that's mom blowing on it. I don't know what that's going to do, a little air going across it somehow. But, but that's what mom, mom and dad, that's what they're there for. They're there to give me a hug, to wipe the tears away, and to, to bring me in close and provide comfort. Why? Because we have a relationship. We are connected. We are, we are one in the same family. And, and why do moms and dads love so deeply? Is it because it's a duty? Oh, I had these kids, so I guess I gotta, you know, when they come in crying, I guess I gotta be like, there, there, you'll be fine. You know, no. It's because we love and we care for our kids. We see them in pain. We see them in suffering. And we say, come here. It's going to be okay. I've skinned my knee. I know what it's like. I know what that pain is like. And you're mine. Get back out there and play and have fun. Relationship means something. This is, this is our, our situation too, friends. God intensely Loves us as his children. Have you thought about that recently when you're in the midst of suffering? That God doesn't call you his slave, his servant, his his butler, his whatever. He calls you his child. That should blow our minds daily. He intends to keep us close. He intends to pour out his comfort. Because he is committed to us. So friend, brother, sister, Christian, be sure of this. As a Christian, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. He is committed to comfort you, save you, sustain you, strengthen you in all things, in every season. Including the worst affliction. And some of you are probably right now in the seasons of worst affliction that you have ever gone through. Know this. Your father cares and sees and intends to be with you every step of the way and as sure as the sun is rising every morning surer than that god will stay near you thirdly this is where we transition into the call to to evangelism thirdly god comforts us because it is part of his commission for us it's inherent in his character It's because we are connected in relationship with him, but it's also part of our commission. God's comfort is intertwined with our commission. I I think the usefulness of our suffering in the extension of gospel mission is one of the most often overlooked yet powerful tools in the divine, God's divine evangelism program, excuse me. I, I think we often overlook this. We kind of think, again, compartmentalize, evangelism is this thing over here, and life is this thing over here, and part of life is suffering. Yeah, there are good things, too, you know, like the Ravens win sometimes, or the Redskins, well, the Redskins don't win sometimes, so. Sorry, bad example, open wound there, your father will comfort you as you cry your tears, and your skin, Washington Redskins knees. Um, but, you know, sometimes we, we eke out some, some joy in this life, right? But there's, there's some suffering that goes on but but I don't know how often we see the connection between the difficulty and the suffering of life and how God uses that to bring the powerful testimony of what the gospel means to a world that's needy around us and and actually I think it's one of the most powerful tools in God's arsenal so to say We are comforted for the purpose of extending comfort, verse 4 says. God's intention in comforting us is first and foremost our own salvation. Verse 6 says that, makes that very clear. God's first purpose of comforting in our salvation is our own salvation. That he wants us to experience the freedom, the the liberty of having our sins cast from as as far as the east is from the west. And in addition to that, connected with that, tied to that... He intends for us to extend the comfort of the salvation grace, the salvation comfort that we've received to others around us. Now, note what sort of comfort is in view in here. It is comfort for a few of life's afflictions. Do you see that in your Bible? Is that, that's how your translation reads, right? A few of life's afflictions God will maybe comfort you. This is probably one of the more emphatic statements in Scripture. It is comfort for all. Every sort of affliction. Not some, not, not, not once in a while comfort, but all our afflictions and suffering. Every way. The God of all comfort, all-encompassing comfort, comforts us in all of our affliction. Verses 3 and 4, make that very clear. Are you mapping this here? Like, there's nothing that you'll go through, no no season of affliction and suffering and difficulty and trial, that somehow is a little blip on the radar that got outside of God's plan. Like, he's sitting there like, oh, whoa. That that trial, that suffering, where did that come from? I, whoa, I missed one. I missed one, and my child is going to go through some suffering, and I don't have... Big enough arms, big enough shoulders to carry. That's not how it works, friend. God is the God of all of our suffering in trial. And he is the God of comfort over all of our suffering in trial. No suffering, no trial is beyond the grasp of God to comfort us and to be used for his saving purposes. Now again... Be mindful what I'm talking about. This is not mere emotional support. This is not circumstantial ease. And this is not goodness as the world defines it. We're talking about something far more robust and powerful. We're talking about eternal, indissoluble salvation through Jesus. Dare we even say victory over that which threatens us and tempts us to fear destruction in real time in our lives our sin our loneliness death and sickness financial pressures pressures from within pressures from without our anxieties all of these things bow to his saving comfort all affliction why so we can comfort others in any the call of the gospel that we received as gracious comfort is also the powerful tool and the way that we extend comfort we don't need some new fangled methodology of evangelism we don't need some sort of textbook that we go through and we fill out some workbook there's value in being trained in evangelism I'm not saying that but what I'm saying is that's not what we need you know what we need we need what we have we have the gospel of Jesus Christ that is comfort and what this world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ in their affliction to know the character and the reputation of Jesus is enough to pull them from the depths of depression and depravity and difficulty all the way up to the glories of the father they, the world, in brokenness, maybe you in your brokenness this morning, don't have a relationship with God. And the one thing that is needed is the testimony of the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, when we talk about evangelism, that's, that should be primary in our minds. That's how we extend comfort, the same comfort we've received. And the comfort we receive is, look at the quality of it in verse 5. It's abundant, provided we understand suffering is also abundant. Ooh, we don't like that one, right? That's, that, is, that does not play well on the Christian, the Christian broadcast channel, right? That doesn't play well in building the megachurch. Suffering is abundant? Oh, comfort is abundant. Praise God for abundant comfort. But suffering is also abundant. In other words, though, brother, sister in Christ, the more suffering ramps up, the greater the comforts of God rise to swallow up affliction. Salvation is no thin stream drizzling just enough grace to get us through. It is a rushing torrent. It is a vast ocean of grace to sustain us far beyond what suffering can threaten. So suffering is real. And it's even, yes, abundant, but it's not greater than comforting grace from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet suffering and affliction are the normal course of life. You know what the biggest stutter in life is? Is how can God be good and allow such terrible suffering? Did you ever ask that question? Anybody ever ask you that question? Have you ever confronted that reality? How How can God be a good God with such terrible suffering occurring all around us. This is in philosophy, philosophy of religion, theology, apologetics, we call this the problem of evil. C.S. Lewis is one of the best writers on this. He's, uh, he's written many, many things. There are many others who have also written very well on this. But it's a real problem. It's not gutted from life. We, we kind of ask this question, I think, because we feel like suffering is something that a Christian should should avoid or miss out on. That if if we're really God's children, He's going to keep us from suffering and, and and protect us and sort of put us in some sort of bubble. And there's actually even a heretical teaching out there that you've sure uh, surely run across that says if you have enough faith, you won't suffer. So when you are suffering, must be something wrong with your faith level, which. Just I don't understand what it is. like I'm not a car guy at all, but I know like where the oil is, I know where the windshield washer fluid is, and I know that they all have levels, and you pour some in. But like, where is the faith meet? Like, where is the faith level? Is there a faith dipstick on my body that I've just been missing for 43 years of my life now? Like, what does that mean that your faith level is not high enough? So that must be why you have suffering in your life. You will have health and wealth and prosperity if you just get your faith level up high enough. Does Starbucks sell a drink that gets your faith level up high enough? Is there something that I'm missing in this life? See, suffering provides an opportunity for the nature and the character of God to be revealed through dark brush strokes on the painting. And God's comforts, says this text, are not a pathway around suffering— God's comfort is the carriage in which we ride... ...straight through the heart of affliction and suffering. Just as did our Lord Jesus Christ. That means God's plan is not circumventing suffering... ...but persevering through suffering. Not avoidance of, but endurance through suffering. And as we do, by His grace... We receive comfort in this life that points to eternal comforts. And as we endure with patience the same sort of trials that Christians throughout the ages have faced and Jesus himself has faced, we are able to comfort and receive true comfort and salvation is made known. And our afflictions, therefore, become road signs marking the entranceway to the avenues of God's salvation for those who are lost. They see us. And we're living authentically. We're not putting Vaseline on our teeth and making this shiny white smile like, yeah, everything's great, even though my whole house is falling down. Around. No, we're, we're saying, no, this is who I am, and I trust the comforts of God. And those in the world see that, and they say, what kind of worldview is that? that that's a road sign to the character and nature of God and the saving plan of Jesus Christ. Paul reinforces this throughout 2 Corinthians, and in 5, chapter 5, verse 20, he says our role is to be ambassadors of Christ through who God makes his saving appeal. The Spirit, the Comforter, empowers us to patiently endure and persevere in suffering such that the lost might be served. Our lives speak the message that ultimate comfort is not found in life, it's not found in feelings, It's not found in experiences or emotions. It's found in the saving work of Jesus. So then, how do we apply this? Where do we go with this? I think a sort of simple phrase encompassing this application is is patiently endure. How do we apply? We patiently endure. What does patient endurance look like? Well, wherever you are, whoever God has put you alongside, whatever the situations of your life that you're comforting, patiently endure and expect the comfort of God by the power of the Spirit to work more deeply than you can accomplish by your efforts. In other words, God has designed your suffering and difficulty for very specific, purposeful reasons. So therefore, brother, sister... Trust in God and patiently endure in his power. Let me give you three specific categories of patient endurance for us as ministers of grace. The first one, the first way we can patiently endure is by granting mercy and grace. Now, this is primarily focused on how we live our lives with the world around us. Granting mercy and grace. As Christians, this is the way our lives should be marked, right? By mercy and grace. We have received grace and mercy. God has not treated us, as Bobby read this morning, as our sins deserve. He did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. And and we have received grace upon grace upon grace. These are paraphrases of the scriptures that you know well. So friend, we have no right or reason to be harsh, critical, angry, angry or self-righteous in this earth. The church has a bad name in this world because of God's children being self-righteous. I, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm, I'm the most self-righteous person I know. I don't know anybody in this room um, the way I know myself, and I know that there is, there is nobody here that is even close to the, the self-righteous man that you see before you. So I'm, I'm not merely giving you some applications. I'm speaking to my own heart here. We we tend to expect the world to live up to our standards, don't we? When the world operates in its brokenness, what do we do? We, we take to social media. We gather around the water cooler. We blast unbelieving people for their unbelieving views. We act holier than they. We distance ourselves from the broken and the hurting, and we critique them for their poor choices, as though somehow a sinner can miraculously make a godly choice. As though someone without the Spirit of God dwelling within them, one who's been saved and who's experienced the touch of God's comforting grace of salvation, somehow is going to stumble into making wise, godly choices. And yet we castigate people for not making wise, godly choices, who are stuck in the brokenness of sin. This should not be. You know what comes off when we do this? When we take the political high road, the moral high road, the whatever high road, in quotes. Our message in these situations is often this, and this is evil, that you better stay out of the church until you get cleaned up and you fit with our club. This is so unlike how God has treated us. Perhaps worse than this, look at the display we put on for the world within the church when we bite and we devour one another. Saints for whom the Savior has died, who we call brother and sister, who we should cover and love, we divide from and quarrel and we make a joke of the grace and the mercy we receive friends this is a wonderful thing that we have right between your church and our church that we have this this sense of camaraderie this should exist within our own churches this should exist within the church universal where we're building each other up we're praying for each other as you did this morning praying for that 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 uh, the prison ministry this should be the normal thing this should be what the world sees See, it's not that, oh, our church is better than your church and, oh, that brother, that sister, they do things differently, so they had to leave my church or I have to leave that church because I don't agree with them anymore and we got into a relational thing or a little tiff and this and that and the other. No, that's not what the world should be seeing. The world should see us bearing with one another and loving one another and giving grace and mercy to one another because we, above all, are recipients of grace and mercy, How then can we justify acting like an unmerciful steward without falling in repentance and beseeching the Lord to touch us and fill us with an attitude of graciousness and mercy towards others, both in the church and outside of the church? So let's put some flesh on this. Who in your life are you holding at a distance? Who in your life are you tempted to criticize? Where do you see yourselves distancing yourself from others in your church family, in your, your blood family, at your, at your work, in your neighborhood? Because you just don't want to deal with the difficulty, the uncomfortability of having to, to bear in love and grace and mercy with another. Friend, if you see this in your life, by the powerful grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, turn towards His grace. To love, to serve others, must start with recognizing the love and servanthood of Jesus first towards us. It must make us more gracious and merciful in our actions and our attitudes when we rightly behold the gospel of Jesus and how that has affected our own lives. Secondly, another way we apply this is to Persevere in our own suffering loving and serving the world is not a a call to strength you know that i think sometimes when we talk about evangelism we get like our knees start knocking together we get you know like a little shaky because we think about like i gotta kind of bolster myself and go do evangelism and gotta go in my own strength to really love authentically and serve authentically this world it's not about our strength Do you see that right here in this text This is a call into weakness. We serve the world best not because we're strong, but because we are weak. Praise God for that, right? Isn't that freeing? You don't need to be strong. You can be weak and be used by God. Embrace the suffering seasons in which you find yourselves and see that God has ultimate purposes. In your suffering, God is at work. In her prison cell... Marie Durand had great effects on the hearts and the minds of the French people and all of history. A teenage girl. Great effect. Why? Because she was strong and mighty? Because she was warm and well-fed? No. Because she was weak and trusting. The Apostle Paul, do you know the Apostle Paul spent more time in his Christian years confined to a prison cell than preaching in metropolitan courtyards? Did you ever think about that? I mean, the greatest preacher ever. I mean, Brett's good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Brett is a good preacher. Really good. But the greatest preacher other than Jesus that this world has ever seen, God saw fit to imprison him for more years than to have him out hobnobbing, rubbing shoulders and build building mega churches. Nope, that was not the plan. The plan was prison cells, affliction, Our ways are not God's ways, and God's ways, thank God in heaven, are not our ways. Because in his affliction, in our affliction, God uses everything. Christian, your affliction is not by accident. It is an avenue. So if you yield, God will use your suffering for his glory. In your trials where you've been seeking release, or maybe you've complained that God isn't moving fast enough, The call here is to look up and see God's moving at exactly the right speed. He knows exactly what he's doing. So the call to you is to endure. And friend, as you do, know that others are watching and God is crafting in you a specific sort of compassion that will enable you to comfort others in a unique way. You you will be a unique tool that only you can do what God has called you to do. That is not some humanistic philosophy. That's the truth of God's word. He's got a specific plan for your life that includes suffering, right? It's different than the, 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 the nice, smiley, you know, happy-go-lucky Christian message. It includes suffering, but you specifically will be used the way God intends you, intend you to be used as you endure trusting God in your situation. God is able to use you, so endure with patience. Third is this, persevere with others in their suffering. In the same way, suffering is not something any of us are meant to go through alone. God has crafted us to be relational. When we suffer, we feel alone, don't we? I mean, who of us, when we're suffering and we're in trials, feels like, oh, I feel, I feel great, this is great, I feel like I'm like integrated and things are looking up for me? No, we feel We feel desolate, we feel alone, we feel empty. You know that's how the world feels too. Even if they're not Christians, they know what it's like to feel alone. Your brothers and sisters in humanity know what it's like to be emptied and isolated. Who are you pursuing in this life that's suffering? And suffering can mean many, many different things, right? Are you avoiding them because it's awkward or because it creates suffering for you we have a tendency to avoid ugly don't we where we used to live I used to go and do sermon prep at this Starbucks that was right near my house and I, I just tend to do better with sermon prep when I'm actually writing the sermon when there's a lot of noise and you know chaos around me it helps me to kind of zoom in and focus and I can like forget that everybody else is there so I Coffee shops are good for me. Plus, I really like coffee. Which, by the way, who's ever making the coffee here? Well done. Uh, we may have you come and do a discipleship class on coffee making at, at our church, at, um, as uh, as a way to serve us. But at any rate, back to my point here. Um, I would go to the Starbucks, and I would I would do my sermon prep. And there was this guy who used to come in, and he was apparently homeless. And and I was always you know too busy to strike up a conversation. I was always just I, you know what he. He's kind of smelly, and he's unkempt, and I've heard him having conversations with other people, have overheard it, and it's like crazy talk, and I don't have time for this, and I'm doing the work of the Lord, preparing a sermon. How could I break away and spend time talking to this guy? <laughs> Friends, this is not a story of my success. That's where the story ends, because we moved from there about six, seven years ago, and, and I never once had a conversation with this man. You know why? Because in my heart, and if you're like me, you know what this is like. We avoid ugly. As though we're beautiful and others are ugly we feel like it's our right to have ease we feel like you know we have enough on our plate we have other priorities well we've I've tried and they resisted so I'm not gonna go there again so on and so on and so on we get the, the list of excuses just keeps going on and on Christian brother or sister Those who are lost and are suffering will not likely favorably respond to one or two or maybe even more tries to extend comfort to them. They will not. They're like the the, the old story of the lion with the thorn in its paw. As people tried to help, the lion reacted with fear and distrust and roared and swiped. And it wasn't until a mere mouse gently drew near, won the lion's trust, and removed the thorn that the lion was helped. At times, we, as Christians, in our suffering and seeking to bear with and comfort others in their suffering and reach out to them in their situation, we will be swiped at. We will in- in- encounter difficulty. We will encounter the lion's roar and the lion's teeth at times. Brother, sister, God is the God who shuts the mouths of even So who in your life is difficult, snarling even? Maybe it's a coworker who's the source of your affliction or you see them in affliction. Maybe it's a boss, maybe maybe a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Draw near in perseverant grace and mercy and kindness and extend comfort the way God has persevered in extending grace and mercy to you. Understand that their beef is not ultimately with you, it's with God. And as you extend comfort like God has shown you, his glory will be known. Now as we come to a close and the worship team can, uh, can return, is that, w- is that what we normally do, the worship band comes back? Nope, I just close us out with prayer and everybody goes out? Good, I won't, I won't sing a song and become the one-man worship team. That would not be good for anyone. That would be suffering on an unparalleled level okay so tony will come and do a benediction but but as we come to a close i here's what i want to do i want to pray for those who find themselves in the midst of affliction perhaps in your home with a friend or at work maybe in the midst of great physical or financial stresses and and feeling your own weaknesses i want to pray for you if that describes you and i want to i want to pray that you would have the spirit's strength to not only receive and understand and, and, and experience the comfort of God and his saving grace, but also to see a broader vision of how God intends to use you in the week ahead and the, the month ahead as you experience comfort. So if that describes you, it, we can just all stand together this time. If that describes you, you can keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. If you're in the midst of suffering and trial and you need God's perspective and you want that to be used, can you just raise your hand just to, to identify yourself? Um, and let me pray for you. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty and your, hum- your humility. You know, God's word says he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. It doesn't feel like this huge, massive step of humility, but it is humbling yourself to say, you know what? I'm weak and needy. So know this, that God's disposition towards you is favorable. He cares for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for these brothers and sisters and their humble hearts, their humble mindset to see that, yeah, we don't have it together, and we find ourselves in suffering and difficulty and wonder, how could the situations of our life, even the situations in which we got ourselves into, the sufferings that we can see our own hand at creating them by our poor choices and and sinful choices, Lord, we, we see ourselves in the midst of these things at times, and we wonder, how can you be a redeeming God in the midst of this? Thank you, Lord God, for the gospel that reminds us over and over and over again that not only are you the God of all comfort and the God over all of our anxieties and sufferings and difficulties, but you are the God of all redemption, that there is not one hair on our head, there is not one situation in our life, there is not one difficulty that we will encounter between now and the day we see Jesus face to face, and he wipes away every tear from our eyes, that is outside of your control or outside of your intention and commitment to redeem for your glory. So for those that find themselves suffering and weak and weary, Lord, thank you for the realization that we are weak and weary. We as weak and weary ones cast ourselves on you and and ask that your redeeming, comforting, grace and mercy would be upon each and every person here. And I pray that Bay Ridge Christian Church would be a, a, a church family, as with Crosspoint Church and as, as with the, all of the gospel preaching churches here in Anne Arundel County, Lord, that we would be a people who embrace the suffering that comes our way with a view to be joined to Jesus and to be united with Christ so that your name would go forward. And that we would have faith that our suffering is not in vain, it is for your purposes thank you that that is not only the promise of scripture, Lord, but that the promise of scripture also includes the filling of the Holy Spirit to enable us day by day to persevere. Bless this glorious and and and, and, and well loved by you, local church we pray, and Lord, I thank you for our partnership with them. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Ed. Can we give Ed a, a round of applause? I I, I warned you; you'd be blessed. Um, and isn't it great? Don't you feel encouraged? Uh, you, you know, Jesus Christ—he he confronts the horrible reality about all mankind. He—he—he he, he enters the fiery furnace, or we do. He—he he drinks the cup of damnation, or he passes it to us. He—he he goes to hell, or we go to hell. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ stood up and said, Abba, Father, let it be me. That's comfort. That's love. As Ed said so eloquently this morning, that's, that's grace upon grace upon grace. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Our benediction today comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Go in the power and love and comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.